With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Take two. It's Kandashow's okay. Beetle Revolution. One, two, three, four. On iHeartRadio. My guests on this edition of Kandashow's Beatles Revolution are Eddie and Brian Holland of the songwriting team Holland, Dozier Holland, who wrote all those hits for Motown, and it intersects with the Fab Four for the Beatles cover of Please, Mr. Postman. I asked lyricist Eddie Holland what he thought of the Beatles version of his song. Um, I was impressed with that, and I made more money with them. <laughs> well, that album was huge. Yeah. That didn't suck. No, not at all. <laughs> I'll tell you, man. We're taking a look at the music forces of the 60s. There were four main places that all the music was coming from. One was here in New York City from the Brill Building and the songwriters, Carol King, Neil Sedaka, Neil Diamond, on and on with amazing session players. All the rock and blues artists from Atlanta Records and Burt Burns. All of the singer-songwriter artists coming from CBS. California with the Wrecking Crew musicians in the studios, the Beach Boys, the whole California sound. Then 1964, Liverpool explodes on the scene. The whole Mersey beat sound takes over and London has to catch up with Liverpool and hold on for dear life. And here in America, it was driven by what was going on in Detroit. It was called the Motown sound. Just like Don Kirshner and different producers had a stable of artists, that is what Barry Gordy put together. With my dear friend Mickey Stevenson, who wrote Dancing in the Streets, Smokey wrote so many songs. Then the artists started writing themselves, but one of the biggest songwriting teams ever coming out of Detroit, it was Holland, Dozier Holland. Half the show would be simply listing all of their credits. But the two brothers... Eddie and Brian Holland have written a book about their experiences. It's called Come and Get These Memories, and that is what this edition of Ken Dasho's Beatles Revolution is about. Songwriting, Motown, Beatles, what these guys thought of what the Beatles were doing, and how the process of writing hit songs works. And their process for writing all of these hit songs, which were covered by the Beatles and everyone else, just like everybody covered the Beatles. That's just a few of the hundreds of hit cover versions of the songs written by my guests, Eddie and Brian Holland, here on Ken Dashow's Beatles Revolution. One, two, three. <laughs> That's how elementary is going. You remember that song? Yes, I do. <laughs> by taking candy <laughs> from a baby. <laughs> 
I truly feel like the luckiest person in the world to grow up in the 60s when you had the greatest music coming out of every corner. For us, it didn't matter. It was all just great. If you had a mediocre song, it didn't have a chance. It had to be great. <laughs> That's right. You know, That's so right. the competition was That's, so good, and it made it great. Fierce. Exactly. Fierce. <laughs> With me in the studio, we always talk about songwriting teams, right? And we talk about Lennon McCartney and Jagger Richards and the people we love. Well, coming out of the city of Detroit, Motown, as it was known, there was a writing team by the name of Holland Dozier Holland, National Academy of Songwriters, Lifetime Achievement Award, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, 98, 2003 BMI Icon Awards, Special International Ivor Novella Award. You guys wrote the soundtrack of our lives. Please welcome Brian and Eddie Holland to Q104.3. Ken, 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 how you doing, Ken? My God, if you grew up in the 60s, we grew up listening to the Beatles and to Holland Dozier Holland music. It was Motown and the Beatles. We were just talking before we started one of the things about such competition and such brilliance that happened at that time was that you couldn't get a mediocre song on the radio there's just no room for it it had to be great to knock the other guy off absolutely it had to be absolutely had to be great yeah uh, my buddy little steven van zandt who co-hosts the live Beatles show with me always said it was a, a, a renaissance of commercial art in the 60s and he's right think about the movies the books that were coming out you know, The Godfather. Every movie, was com it was commercially successful, but there was such artistic value to it all. If you guys don't mind, I might be able to do this in 60 seconds. Okay. Ready? Here we go. Seven Rooms of Gloom. Baby, I Need Your Lovin'. Baby Love. Back in My Arms Again. Band of Gold. Free to Pain. Bernadette. Can I Get a Witness? Come and See About Me. Give Me Just a Little More Time. Heat Wave. How sweet it is. Made JT a zillion dollars. Can't help myself, Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. I hear a symphony, Roadrunner. It's a same old song, Jimmy Mac. Just one last look, Little Darlin'. Mickey's Monkey. Hi, Mickey Stevenson. <laughs> you don't like that one. My world is empty without you. The Other Side, Aerosmith from Seven Rooms of Gloom. Reach Out, I'll Be There. Reflections, Standing in the Shadows of Love. Stop in the Name of Love. Take Me in Your Arms. Doobie's had a hit with that. This old heart of mine, where did our love go? Soft sell. You can't hurry love, Phil Collins. You keep me hanging on, vanilla fudge. And that is just the tip of the iceberg of what you three guys did. It's an unbelievable catalog, gentlemen. It's incredible. Oh, thank you very much. I, I, there's nothing to say except I'm in awe of somebody <laughs> who could knock out that many songs. And there's a new book out, Come and Get These Memories. Is right. it out now? People can it's out. It's out. Absolutely. It's out Absolutely. now. Right. All right, yeah. and so I've got Eddie and Brian Holland. Lamont Dozier, why the three of you? How did that come together? Well, it came together because I knew his wife, Ann Dozier. Uh, he was with some other label, uh, Anna Records, I believe, and uh, they went under. And um, then Lamont came over to Motown, and his wife, Ann, said, Brian, I want you to meet Lamont. Okay, he's a songwriter and producer, so I want you to meet him. I said, yeah, I'll meet him, no problem. So one day he was down in the studio playing Forever, Forever, You Can Break My Heart. And uh, I said, man, I like that song. Why don't you let me put a little <laughs> bridge to it and we, let me help you finish the song up. He said, okay, good. So that's how Lamont and I got together. And then we got with Edward and... Edward was saying so, I mean, that we need to let him write the lyrics to all the songs. And 
So that's the way the Holland Dozer Holland got started. <laughs> and you wrote the lyrics to all the songs? Right. See, because I noticed that uh, Bryant was very prolific with melodies. Lamont was very prolific with melodies. But I knew that uh, they took a long time in putting all those tracks together when they had to do the lyric, too, because that was a little cumbersome for them. So I went and approached my brother and said, listen, what if you guys just do the melody and you cut the tracks, give me the tracks, I'll write the lyric. And so all you have to give me at times, maybe your idea, maybe not, whatever. If you just put the idea there, what you want to call it, you know, and uh, I'll write I'll write the lyrics, you know, which took me a long time too. But I wrote so hard and so much of it that uh, I was able to turn out songs faster, and Motown was able to turn out songs faster than they had before with other production teams. You know, Motown, Hitsville, USA, there's this little house, you know, and just like the Beatles had the little white studio on Abbey Road, the magic is in the people, but you've got such talent of the players who are there. McCartney, We'll talk about James Jamerson forever. You hear Ringo's pickup. It's, it's all the Motown pickups and fills. The Stones cover Motown. The Beatles did Motown. So my question is flipping it around. Where the British invasion comes and the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, what was your personal take and collectively, Barry and Smokey and, and Marvin Gaye, what did you guys think about the Beatles? Well, I love the Beatles. I thought there was incredible group. And uh, I do recall that album of the Beatles, Please Mr. Postman. And And Eddie Holland, you co-wrote the lyrics for Please Mr. Postman, even co-produced it for the Marvelettes in Motown. Yeah, one of some other songs too, I can't think. One of Smokey's songs. Um, I was impressed with that. And I made more money with them. (laughs) (laughs) Was that album was huge. That didn't suck. No, not at all. I tell you, man, I tell you, it was great. Brian Holland, what did you think of the Beatles? Well, I just felt they were different. I remember leaving my house on Lumpkin, where Brian and I basically grew up, <clears throat> and this record came on. She loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, this is different. This is different. I see some white boys too. I said, it's different. <laughs> And uh, I, I remember, remember mentioning something to Brian about it, but I couldn't really describe them. And I said, Brian, I heard this record. I said, some, some, some white guys. There's something special about these guys. Mm-hmm. They're really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I would listen. Then I didn't hear anything for, for, for a while. And maybe a year went by, and I would hear another record. Then I wouldn't hear them again. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these same records hit and had been re-released, you know. And I found out that um, Abner, Abner Abner of VJ uh, Records yeah. had them originally. So yeah, you know that story. So yeah. oh, VJ yeah. has a, it's a, on a on a black on a soul label yeah. that releases, and it didn't really take off. Didn't no. take off. That's what they redid it and re released. And then they had a, Capital had to go buy all the yeah, rights right, back right, from right. these little labels. <laughs> right, right. But it was amazing how those and, and when they hit, I mean, they exploded exploded it was the most phenomenal thing and i just love what they did they hit see what what attracted me to the <clears throat> the beatles is, is the chords were different they had different type of chords different mm-hmm. chords that transcend to the chorus of the song mm-hmm. you know right and the way that they did it and they had those difficult chords. i still don't quite understand it but then that's not my forte mm-hmm. but uh 
I, I love I, I love their style of music. And see, so, you know, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I understand, Ken, which you do understand very, very much so. Uh, back in those days, there were a lot of great songwriters and the, the, the phenomenal thing was that we didn't sound like each other. Yes. We, we were all different. Nowadays, I listen to music, you know, no disrespect to them because there are a lot of talented people out there. But I can't tell one writer from the other. They, they <laughs> seem to all sound alike. The records basically seem to sound alike. I've heard more records with the same hook or the same uh, uh, key key element in a, in a, in a melody wise it could mean two or three songs and they all did that they do all do the same thing and and, and they're not they're good they're, they're very talented but what impressed me about the 60s you know is that these everybody was different and everybody was very very good and I would listen to everybody did, beach boys Beatles. Oh, yeah, I loved all that stuff. Yeah. Because it was all unique. Beach Boys was such an influence. Oh, it wasn't a, oh, you know, yeah. for, on the Beatles, they, you know, listening to what they did and mm -hmm. the California sound oh, yeah. of the country rock sound of 12 string guitars. Suddenly, George gets a 12 string yeah. guitar and the music changes again yeah. for there. But like you said, now, again, not putting it down because there is a lot of talent, but when the computer makes the music, then you get the difference of what the players who are happening of, of Steve Cropper and Duck Dunn, how they play mm -hmm. down at, you know, at Stax, is, they're brilliant, but it's going to be completely different of what's coming mm -hmm. out of Hitsville, yeah. which is going to be different from the Wrecking Crew in California. And there's a personality to every instrument, to the drummer, to the bass. Mm -hmm. um, the, yeah. one, the one thing I've learned... From you guys, the thing—the reason I, I love doing interviews is not—it's about learning right. from the giants of what right. it is. Again, Randy Bachman from Bachman Turner Overdrive, uh, taking care of business and let it ride. And he wrote American right. Woman. He said, "Everybody always asks, did you ever get a formal music education?" He said, "Yeah, I bought records." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Uh huh." I bought Beatle records. I bought Motown records, uh -huh. and I, I'd sit down with my record player and a pitcher of iced tea and my guitar and a notebook, uh -huh. and I just try to unwind it like opening a watch and right, see right. Well, what what's this how does this How'd work what i learned as opposed to just the notes he said here's what i learned from the great songs every bar of the music is a hit is a riff yeah, that right. you can remember he said the opening is a hit <laughs> right. the, the middle eight is its own song is a bridge the transition is something you'll never forget and he's absolutely right because when you've got great players carol k and the wrecking crew right. starting wichita lineland with boo boo boom yeah. boo and it's you're in or your guy James Jamerson right. starting with ba boom ba 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 and you're in right. and then the Beatles were doing the same thing I want to tell you just starts with a simple guitar piano mm -hmm. and the drums come in last and then a tambourine comes in behind right. the drums and you've already got a hit song before right. he sings the first <laughs> line and I so much of that weaves through your music mm -hmm. and your lines and then to me, you sometimes you break your own rule, and it's the Beatles took that 
right from you guys, you know, Bernadette. What's the first note? Bernadette. That's the first <laughs> note. You know, and the Beatles did help. You know, and they, but yeah, what if you just start with the chord? What if you just start right there and punch somebody in the nose? And for us DJs, you can't talk up anything if now, it's going to start now, with now, a yell. I can't. That's very interesting. I never thought of that, but that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Help. When you heard that word help, I mean, and then, but the word itself was explanatory because help, I need some. <laughs> yeah, it's a strong, strong, strong word. Yeah. But Ken, you know what? I, in, in talking to you, 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 you kind of making me think and reflect a little bit. Because uh, my experience was still mostly the uh, America, so to speak. You know, it, I didn't go to England and different places. But the one thing I noticed in, over in the states is that they had a lot of music classes. See, schools in those days. You know, from elementary schools to intermediate schools into high school, yeah. you had music classes. You were taught music. music you were right. taught instruments. So those kids really right. learned the music. I mean, uh, the, the 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 ranger that we got uh, from Motown, that great Paul Reiser, Paul Reiser, he was just out of high school. Really? You know? Yes, yes. So the thing about it, I mean, we. I remember as you were talking, you named a James Jamerson. I remember when I saw first met James Jamerson. He was like fourteen years old. You're kidding? No. And James oh. Jamerson was walking across the street, and I was at, I was with my cousin. We were going to a uh, what they called then a confectionery, a malt shop. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, to, to get to get a to, to get an ice cream soda or something. <laughs> and James Jamerson was coming out of the house, and we said. James, you want and the guy? I didn't know James, you know. And he said, James, you want to go with? Us? He said, No, 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 man, I have to go to school. And James is walking down the street, and this huge instrument, this bass. I said, My God, this thing is huge, and I couldn't understand it. I said, You know what? I said, That's an ugly thing. It's an ugly instrument. I said, see, because I always thought the horn or the guitar was a sexy, a romantic instrument. I said, man, who wants to play that big old thing? And he had to lug this thing around, and it was bigger than him. And he was getting on the bus with this thing. And I remember him trying to get out of his front door with this thing. He couldn't handle it. I mean, and then, and so, I mean, so this guy was so into that bass. And the next time I saw him, he was at Motown with, with, with the Fender Rose, you know, bass, you know. And he, this guy, man, was just so magnificent. I don't think there's anybody better than James Jameson. And I think there were a few as good. This guy had a natural ability, but again, so many schools were teaching music. Music, music, an instrument. I mean, when I was in intermediate school, uh, the, the guys that I would come home with, man, them guys would be playing instrument and talk about no. And I, I didn't really uh, uh, deal with that too much because I was poor in math. Okay, yeah. So therefore, I kept somehow or another the, the music reminded me of math. And that was automatically a turnoff. But I can hear music. I can memorize music. I can sing anything practically I heard. And I did do that, you know. But uh, I think because of those things is what caused so many writers to be different. So many musicians to be different. Because they could play the instrument. True. Brian, what, what instrument did you play growing up? Piano. Was, oh, yeah. I played... <laughs> Well, let me take that back. Let me start by saying I played so many instruments. 
I played French horns. I played the uh, the bass um, tuba, and I played drums. But the teacher discouraged me. She said, I was trying to play the French horn. She said, mm, your lips are too big for a French horn. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go to someone. I said, Man, I said, okay. I, I kind of got offended by it, but uh, I said, I ain't going to stop there. Just let me go on and do something else. So I tried to take up violin. I tried to take up violin, too. I wasn't that good at the violin. You got to be very, your fingers got to be right. very sensitive to the notes and whatnot. So I had to leave that alone. Uh, so anyway, I started about trying to play the piano when I was young from church. I didn't know how the difference between the white keys and the black keys. And it was very interesting to see the lady play the piano and say, how in the heck is she doing that? See, you see, let me, let me, let me say something to Brian, because I, I mean, me being the, the oldest, not by much, <laughs> but I, we, we grew up in a family, if you're the oldest, you sort of the, the You're head. the boss. The, right, yeah. there you go. That, yeah. I don't want to say in front of Brian. But Brian, as a kid, you know, he would follow uh, my grandmother, uh, old Everett, to, uh, to church, mm -hmm. and he would, when she would go up in the choir, he would follow her up there. And Brian was always interested in the piano and how it worked. Mm -hmm. Me, I just looked at it for what it was. All I wanted to know was who's singing and how were they, how good was their voice. It was the voice that pulled you. They always pulled me in, okay? And Brian wanted to know these keys. What's the difference in the white keys and the black keys? What? And he would get on this thing and he would just play it. And then in, often in church, Brian would... Uh, we were, when they had the congregation singing, Brian was saying these off notes. I, I think at that time there were sevens or something Seven, he would use. Right. And I said, Brian, I would hunt you. I said, Brian, you stop. You're going to get us in trouble. <laughs> get us in trouble. Because I knew that he was making the, the songs. In your head. Sound, yeah, right. He was sounding, it was sounding different. Yeah. He was doing it. Right. He was changing the chord sound. <laughs> and I thought he would get us in trouble. You know what I mean? So he just, he had a natural affinity and attraction towards this, these sounds and things and it just developed more and more and more and I was amazed and you know what Ken the fact of the matter is I grew up almost musically with an inferiority complex period because I sense at a very very early age 9, 10, 11, 12 that my brother had something that I did not have now as a young boy I was extremely analytical about certain things. Anything that attracted my attention, I would automatically want to take it apart to analyze it, to ask the questions. Why? Why does it work? And I would ask these questions. Why can Brian do this and I can't? Why can Brian hear this and I can't? And I said, yeah, I, I just couldn't understand it, you know. And as we grew older, it, I had the same kind of problem. But the difference is I had so much love for my brother, and I admired it so much, and I was so proud of him. I was just burst inside. You know, we would take our little groups on the corner down the street and, yeah. and singing these songs, and, and Brian would do these songs, and the, the little tenor part of the, of, that, of the Diablo song, The Wind and this. I was floored. I said, what did he learn to do? <laughs> so we, we, before we started with Brian and Eddie Holland, uh, Holland Dozier Holland, with his great book, Come and Get These Memories, that you want to talk about memories of music of a lifetime. That's what With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But this is... And you said, just don't ask us any questions we don't have the answer to. So now I'm going to ask you a question that I don't think there's an answer to. John Lennon, Paul McCartney, two kids who never took a music lesson in their life. Just like you guys, dad had a piano in the house. They'd sing songs. They took it apart. And Paul always said, how did you and Lennon find each other? Why did you become friends? And he said, well... All the other kids, you meet a new friend, say, what do you like to do? I love playing football. And they say, well, what do you do? He goes, I like to write songs. Dead silence. Uh-huh. He goes, and you were out of the party. You're at a party. What do you do? Oh, I play this. You know, I love playing this sport. I love, I'm good at math. What do you do? I like to write songs. Nothing. Dead silence. He goes, the first kid he ever met, we met John Lennon at a church picnic at the church fet. He says, what do you like to do? He says, I like to write songs. What do you do? He goes, I like to write songs. Mm-hmm. He goes, he was the only kid I met in Liverpool. I'm 15, he's 16, who, you know, who said he, want, he likes to write songs. And I said, well, maybe we could try writing some together. And it's something that simple that you found some that you had each other. He found another guy. These people said, how could they find each other? Because you've asked 20 people, would you like to write songs? And this was the only one who said yes. The amazing thing that is mystical is that these two kids wound up writing a songbook like Holland Dozier Holland, like what Smokey Robinson and Mickey Stevenson and you guys all built that will last a lifetime. So that's the question, is that how much of it is, is learned ability where you learn that this works, this chord change, this twist of a lyric, and how much of it is innate talent. Right. Because a lot of bands and a lot of people, you know, constantly sending me music, and I'm sure they send it to you. And I hear I hear the ability, I hear the right notes, I hear chords. I just n- don't hear songs that ignite, right. that explode out of the speaker. And the list I just went down, every one of those songs is a multi-million dollar selling song. So it's not an accident. You guys, obviously, there's a gift that's given to some people. Do you believe that? Is that what it is? A divine intervention. That's what it is. It is. Obviously. But you know what, Ken? Let me tell you something I believe. I believe this, okay? That each one of us have a talent. Okay, and we gravitate just just like you were talking about Paul and and, 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 and John Lennon and, and John Lennon. See, you have you gravitate towards that which you attracted to. Just like they say, birds of a feather flock together. Yeah. It's more true to that than people realize. Okay, now Brian and I, we both grew up on music. We both uh, music was we were drawn. I was drawn to music because my mother could sing, and I had her voice. My f- grandfather. My my uh, brother got his ear for music, you know, <laughs> and so even even when we were kids, you know, Brian and I, we would walk down the street, and I would sing the lead part because I could hear the music melody, and I loved to sing it, and he would harmonize with me, 
you know, we would go all the way down the street just harmonizing, and he would blend. I couldn't sing the harmonies because he could hear the music, so I would sing the lead part and let him harmonize with me. But it was a natural feeling to, uh, towards that. And, and it developed over a period of time. Why? Because we had time together. We we had an uncle that loved all kinds of different music and records. And we would play these records, you know. And I thought I'd be was sneaking in and playing while he was at work and gone, which, you know, he knew I was doing it. And he would allow me to do it, except a lot of times Brian and I would be, as kids, would do, would tussle around. <laughs> and we would step back on some of those 40, oh, 78's oh records. Oh, 78's record, right. and I would hear click, 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 click. Oh, 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 my goodness. And I would try to hide the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You're how old at this point? How old are you? Nine, like ten, nine, ten? eleven. Oh, Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years not, old. Not that you remember that clearly and vividly to this day. <laughs> well, we, we, oh, remember I remember that. Remember the accident, though. Yeah, I remember uh-huh. it very, very well. It still reverberates in his head, that clicking of the broken <laughs> yeah. Right. So the question about what happens in the studio, what's planned, and what happens is the Beatles, they're together 24-7 in a van going from here to there, in the van working out songs, at the venue, between shows, working on stuff. They went to Germany playing in a strip club, basically, and sleeping in the in the back of a, a porno house as teenagers washing in the urinals. And everybody says, it must have been a live in hell. And they all said, well, it was and it wasn't because all we did was work on music. Right. There was nothing else. We didn't have much money. But it was so enjoyable. I know that feeling. Yeah. It's euphoric. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's an excitement about it. And you enjoy it so much. All you want to do is breathe music. I mean, but when Brian and I were coming up, and you tell a person, say, what do you want to do? I want to be a musician. I want to play music. I want to write songs. They look at you like you're crazy. And and I got a lot of criticism as a, as a kid coming really? up, 16, 17 years old. He said, well, what do you do? Haven't you got a job yet? I said, no. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, what are you doing? We said, well, I'm going to the studio and uh, uh, we're writing songs. I said, writing songs? They thought that was a great waste of time. Of course. I got all kinds of heavy criticism. My cousins live next door. The father said, don't pl- b- watch, a- a bother your time, or waste your time p- playing with your cousin Ed because he's not going to do anything. He's not going to be anything. All he wants to do is do music. He didn't even have to get a job. He won't do anything. <laughs> that, was, that was John Lennon's, his aunt who raised him, Aunt Mimi. He always called him strict Aunt Mimi because she wouldn't let McCartney in the house until Lennon did his homework. Oh, wow. The other parents didn't want Lennon around because he was a bad boy. He was drinking. He was 16 and he had a, a music group. You know he's going to amount to nothing. And, you know, Paul's dad didn't want him around, and George's family didn't want this, that Lennon boy. That, that's trouble. And, you know, I understand the logic of it, of a parent saying, I want you to get a job. Right, right. At that time, like, right. just, just work on getting a job because the odds of your son becoming Big, Holland right. Dozier Holland or Smokey Robinson or Lennon McCartney, the odds are against it. And I think, honestly, when you're 15, 16, Maybe you don't hear the magic yet. You're still working on it. You're still honing. Absolutely, your craft. absolutely. How old were you when you wrote your first hit song? I don't know. How old were you when you did Postman, Brian? Although I don't oh, know that was the first was, song, but it was the first hit. I was about I was about eighteen. You yeah. were eighteen when you wrote Please, Mister Postman. Eighteen and nine, yeah, something like that, yeah. And you know the Beatles were probably about twenty uh-huh. when they recorded it. Oh, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. 
when you think about what's happening in the world, uh-huh. these kids in Liverpool uh-huh. are listening to this 18-year-old song from Detroit, uh-huh. knock them out, <laughs> right. and we're going to record it here in London. And it's just good. You know, you want to talk about a time in the world when music was driving right. culture and, right. and, and sound and everybody wanted to be a musician. And all the other English groups have said to me, it's not just that we love the music, when I think it was the same for Motown as well, we didn't know there was another option to make a living. Ozzy Osbourne from Black Sabbath, he said, look, either you were smart and went to university or like the rest of us, you went to work in the factory. Mm-hmm. Music was something you did for, for 10 pounds on the weekend and maybe you'd get some girls or free beer. <laughs> Nobody knew. Only handsome people had careers in music. <laughs> you know, you had to speak perfectly and be have a pompadour and be a white kid and, and Pat Boone. Yeah, right. he, goes, he goes, and that's what we saw as, as you know, hit stars. Mm-hmm. We didn't know we could be stars. He goes, and yet yeah, not that the Beatles weren't good looking or, you know, Smokey wasn't good looking, but suddenly the door opens and you go, you know, I think I could make a living doing this. Uh And that's a change in the world that leads to art, that leads to paintings, that leads to album covers, that leads to, no, forget engineering, Mom, I'm going to learn the bass. (laughs) And because I believe in it and that's all I want to do. It it changed the world, guys. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, just think in terms even further, all the adults around you, Thought you were a waste of time. <laughs> they thought you were a waste of time, and you and they thought you wanted to be a waste of time. They didn't understand you. you, you Otherwise, if you weren't working in a factory, because that you know what we grew up in, right. we came you, out of World War Two, we went to work to in a factory, and, and that's Forge, that. Forge Forge right. was hiring and right. paying good money to to people in especially in Detroit, right? Especially oh, yeah, in Detroit. Yeah. But man, if you're not going to to do 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 that, what are you going to do? Are you are you going to go to school? Are you going to go to college? Are you going to whatever. But fortunately for us, our grandmother kept us in church most of the time to be perfectly honest, but only I think pretty much to keep us out of trouble. Of course. But uh <laughs> she, she did not pressure us. She let us find our own levels. She had, we had that sense of freedom, you know, which was unusual, you know, because her brother living next door, he was the one, well, why doesn't he have a job? You can't play with your cousin. He, he's he's going to be a bum. He's going to be worthless. He's going to be that. And so, but my grandmother never said anything. She might have mentioned one time when I was like, something, 18 she said, well, Edward, you know, I went downtown in the county building and and um, I saw those boys, they were in their shirts and suits and ties, and they were sitting behind the typewriters and typing. They looked so studious. And the t- I didn't comment, and, she, and I didn't say anything. She just said her piece. And she didn't say any more. And she, huh? didn't say, she didn't say, but I said to myself, I'm not interested in that. I didn't tell her that. Right. But I said not to me. myself, I'm not interested in that. I don't, that. That doesn't do anything for me. And then I've heard that even more, you know. But and what I what I really felt good about is when the p- same people that had criticized me <laughs> were coming to me for a loan. 
<laughs> I had the same and uncle. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the defining moment of success. I had right. the same <laughs> uncle that, is, that, that said I was going to be a bum and tell his son not to play. Not to, he couldn't have socialize or play with me living next door. He came to me. He needed uh, it really wasn't to me it wasn't much <laughs> but to him it was a lot of money he, he was trying to get a house he said uh edward uh oh, i want to know can you loan me three hundred dollars <laughs> and i looked at him <laughs> i said you're I asking a remember. bum you're asking a bum for three hundred. <laughs> i just looked at him i said uh yes yes and oh, i can remember going to the uh, the, the, the cleaners who who uh, who kind of embarrassed me because they made a crack once about I had a hundred dollar bill on me because I had a tendency to save money anyway, <laughs> and they said hundred dollars. What are you doing with a hundred dollar bill? And it was embarrassing, but they didn't mean it like. But they were sincere because most people didn't have hundred dollar bills then. You didn't see hundred dollar bills. Couldn't get them cashed anyway. You know. <laughs> and so, and then uh, they looked at me and I said, "Well, I went to the cleaners. I just got a first royalty check." It was about $8,900, okay? And $9,800, okay. matter of fact. I said, can you cash your check? So they knew me. <laughs> they knew me and they knew my family. You know, so then, then you know, I was, you know, I'd right. go to all, that been growing up, watching and say, oh, yes, yes, Ed. He said, we'll cash your check. I said, okay. So I went in my pocket and I said, here. So awesome. she took the check. <laughs> she walked back there. And was going to her husband to tell her to cash it, and her eyes got big. <laughs> and she called him over. She said, look at this. And he looked back at me. She said, we don't have enough to cash this check. I said, oh, okay. Well, maybe I can get something smaller. I did that deliberately. <laughs> but, man, that made my day. <laughs> <laughs> that is the definition of mic drop. <laughs> Brian and Eddie Holland, my guests. <laughs> Come and get these memories. I mean, absolutely, it's it's filled with this. Uh, our dear friend, our mutual friend who hooked us Mickey up, Stevens. Mickey Stevenson, right. wrote a book as well. The stories of the insanity of working in there, but the brilliance of what comes out of it is is incredible. Um, two more things, and I could keep here all day and we won't even scratch the surface, <laughs> but I won't. Um, one of the things that the guys in McCartney's band always told me was that they noticed that the songs he wrote on a piano were very different in terms of how they sound and structure than a song he wrote on the guitar. You may not realize it, but Beatles songs, there are piano songs and there are guitar songs. So I look at you, Brian, like it's same thing for you? Same thing, same thing, because once we play the piano, come on with a song, and I go into the studio, and the guitars try to play the same song. But you know, the keys are different. It's different. So the structure of a guitar is different than a piano. So the sound comes out differently. You know what I mean? So, but that's the same thing. We had the same problem, same problem. So you would write a thing and you'd say, guys, let's start it on a piano. Let's start it on this. Or, well, or you'd I, hand it over and they do what they want. No, I didn't ever hand it. Well, I did hand it over. Chord sheets. Chord right. sheets and pass it out to him. He wouldn't let them do what he wanted. No, That's just not no, clear. I love him. I told, I had to tell them exactly. But structure the, see, my thing with playing the piano was different than the way you school taught. Me playing by ear. Because you self-taught. Right. I was self-taught. I, I didn't chord it the way... They would normally call it being school taught, you know what I mean? 
See, so, Brian believes in this, what, he, what he's saying, because I, I remember sitting by his side a lot of times when he's telling musicians, and they were writing down these chords, and they would say, Brian, this, this is unusual, the way you chord this. He said, because in school we were taught this way, but I see you chording it differently. Why do you record do you chord this song that way? And Brian said, I do it because it gives me an expanded sound. He said, the sound is different, and it was different. You know what I mean? So this is how, you know, he uh, wor worked from his the sound because he could hear things that that whoever with those musicians were that learned in school they weren't taught that way. Right, right. He had his own creative concept that he can hear, but then his ear was exceptional even to that, those musicians. Averagely, it was the same thing with the lads from Liverpool. They never had any formal education. They just listened to records. They love what they heard, and they try to make it up. They try to copy Little Richard. They try to copy Chuck Berry, and it might have come out very differently, but they built their own sound. They didn't even know what the names of the chords are. To this day, Paul calls this weird G minor seven thing. He just calls it the fruity chord, and he knows where to use it and where to put it, whether it's John Lennon and Paul McCartney or Eddie and Brian Holland of Holland, Dozier, Holland of Motown. I think when you've got that much innate talent and you've got such great ears, maybe formal music training would have gotten in the way of your creativity. Not knowing what you don't know made you free to create all these masterpieces. Eddie and Brian Holland of Motown fame, my guests on Ken Dash has Beatles Revolution. Their book, Come and Get These Memories, so much about the era-defining pop music that came out of Motown. Motown and the British Invasion. It was hard for anybody else to get on the charts between those two camps. You guys owned it. The book talks about our early history, you know, how we started off as children, because a lot of people think that we were we grew up in Motown. No, there was no Motown. Right. So it this this it didn't exist. So the yet. book no. no. So the book talks about that how it started, how the Motown started, how we started, and what caused us to to do what we were doing. And it's really a journey, you know, that that I really really enjoy. When I think about it, you know, I didn't, I didn't like to, I didn't want to write about it at first because it dealt with a lot of personal things that I was unhappy. And there was with. a lot of issues, is you know, oh, yeah. was, listen, oh, yeah. it's not a, a lot of con. It deals a with a lot of conflict. conflict. It, you know, people often they say, "What happened with the Motown? Why did you go to this? Why did you do that? Why did you have a lot?" So it dealt, you know, what would you, what was wrong with you guys? It just, it just, it deals with 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 all of that. So. It, it, it's all it's not always that pleasant for me but it's a journey you know it's right. a journey you know brian it was the same thing for the beatles how hard they worked living together sleeping together traveling together 24 hours a day as they're building this brand that changed the world and after seven years of recording it comes apart at the seams because the pressure cooker is just too much yet the big difference to me between motown and the beatles and the mersey sound is the beatles wrote for themselves they wrote their own songs for them to sing. You guys wrote for all these amazing voices, from the Supremes to the Temptations, the Four Tops, Smokey, and still, everyone covers Motown songs, everyone covers Beatles songs. Yesterday, the most covered song in history, um, matter of fact, Paul McCartney said the only the version he thinks is most interesting, he doesn't say weird, is Elvis Presley's version of yesterday, because instead of singing, I said something wrong, he said, 
I might have said something wrong. Now I long for yesterday. Oh, it's, wow. <laughs> so you can't admit you're wrong. Is that the king can't admit he's wrong? So I'm now I'm turning the table on you guys. Eddie and Brian Holland are my guests. So we can't go through every cover version of one of your Motown songs, or we'd be here for a week. But a local band from here called Vanilla Fudge oh, had yeah. this giant hit with this psychedelic, organ-driven, long version of You Keep Me hanging on what did you think of that when you first heard it i loved it did you i thought it was so different i mean i thought i said jesus listen to the song and the way they did it man was it was really great he did he did he came to I me he said oh, yeah. he said you should hear how they do it it's totally different and i heard it and say wow it was mind-blowing to me it was mind-blowing what did you think of what they did with the lyrics i they didn't bother me i thought it was great because awesome. to me it was a part of what they were doing it was creating the mood they made a change a little lyric here to change a little lyric to set the mood but hey that's part of this different arrangement of the song right so that doesn't bother me but you know what the most interesting thing was me hanging on went to number one by three different artists isn't that something? Postman went to number one by three different artists. Can you believe that? Yes, I can. Because <laughs> it's that good a song. I mean, our, our band, the Doobie Brothers, is one of the oh, biggest yeah. hits. Oh, Take yeah. me in your arms and oh, rock wow, me. Oh, wow, wow. I, I love their rendition. Yeah, right. right. Love their rendition. What about James Taylor doing How Sweet oh, It Is? Oh, man. That was, you might that as well have written it for yeah. him. That was the biggest record was when he did it. Really? Yeah. 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 He yeah. sold more records than Marvin Gaye. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, that song was perfect for him. Oh, he, that wow, is the it? right song. And he had such a smooth way about himself. Ooh. Yeah. Man, I could sit down for an entire weekend with you and go song by song. Just great stories. And they're all here in the book. Brian and Eddie Holland, come and get these memories. It's not just your story. It's the story of the 60s of music. Any music fan just has to grab this. It's wonderful. Thank you for sharing these stories and being honest about it. Like I said, from Liverpool to Detroit, the two of you built the sound of the 60s and helped build the house of rock and roll. Thank you so much no, for your time you, for no, coming thank, up. Thank Listen, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank it's you. It's been a pleasure. It's been more than a pleasure. It's been a revelation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you took us no, down memory lane. <laughs> and believe me, and I thank Mickey Stevenson once again for introducing you to us, man. And oh, I, feel I, I love you, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. When Mickey's going to come up, and in addition to music, him talking about how – you guys cheated at golf. About how? Oh, that's who cheated? No, I didn't. No, I, I never oh. cheated at golf. Marv, saying they saw Goldfinger and Marvin mm -hmm. cut a hole in his oh. pocket and would drop a ball. Oh no! Come on, is that true? That's what he says. Oh, oh. Well, I mean, I he said they made Marvin like on a Titleist two. Uh -huh. He had to write Titleist two one. Uh -huh. Title is 2-2, two, two, uh -huh. and title is 2-3. Uh -huh. okay. And Smokey would pick up the ball and go, you're playing a title is 1-1? One, one? Uh -huh. That better be the ball that's in the hole at the end of this round. But, you know, but Ken, I like, I like to say something. You mentioned Mickey Stevens. Uh, you know, about uh, three weeks ago, you know, I got a copy of uh, Mickey Stevens' book, The A&R Man. Yeah. And I tell you, I, would just, I just picked the book up to read one or two lines to see what it was all about. I didn't put that book down to about four in the morning right. with my eyes. I couldn't even open my <laughs> eyes. To that book was so interesting. I said, wow, this is an interesting book. You know, I, and I finished it uh, 
uh, two days later. My eyes were so tired. I could, it was, it was <laughs> you know, it, I had no idea that I had been reading that long, but it was very, very interesting book. Your, your lives are epic. The journey, the story, because it's not just a journey, but it's peppered along with the music of our life that lasts a lifetime. Thank you, guys. Keep going. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Ken. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.